in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Hoorah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's bad with money with Gabe S. Done. Hello and welcome to Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. It's been a hot minute. We are here with a breakdown and takedown. We haven't done one in so long. And we are back with my boyfriend, Alex. Do you want me to say your last name? Nah. (laughs) (laughs) A man of sheer mystery who (laughs) might know more than me at this point about this topic that we're going to get into. Well, you know, I used to, I used to be a CPA, but like, I don't, that doesn't mean anything in terms of like day trading. Like I don't, I don't like trade stocks. I don't know anything about that. I think you were doing like covered calls and stuff for a while or something. And I actually didn't even know how any of that stuff like worked in terms of, you know, typing all, there's so many options in those brokerage websites. I, I don't even do that. Yeah. The covered call thing was fun. It was something that Anna Kana taught me how to do. And it was really interesting. If you want to go back and listen to our episode with her, it was super interesting at the time when I had money, you could just make money by having money, which made me so furious. But anyway, it's like we get into that in this movie too. So we're going to be talking about the movie Dumb Money with Paul Dano, who I know primarily because he was my, one of my ex-boyfriend's arch enemy, even though they don't. (laughs) 
Yeah, they don't know each other, but this guy was an actor and he would always say that <laughs> if it wasn't for Paul Dano, he could get those roles. So I just remember, and he also thought he wasn't very talented. So oh I think- I think that shout out to Paul Dano for being one of my ex's uh, number one enemies that he would talk about all the time. I feel that you are talented. Anyway, sorry I didn't defend you enough. To Paul Dano. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, Paul Dano. So we watch Dumb Money. Dumb Money is the term that hedge funds use to talk about the average investor, the average person and their money that's in the stock market. And this movie is about in 2020 to 2021. Is it 2020? Yeah. Yeah, it started like July 2020-ish. The GameStop of it all. And I went into this, I knew what had happened with GameStop, but I went into it not knowing really anything about the guy, the one guy, Keith Mm -hmm. Gill, who sort of kicked everything off. So this movie is a lot about him and his life and what went on with him. And then also the hedge fund guys who ended up testifying and the CEOs of Robin Hood who ended up getting fucked over by a lot of this ish. Fucked over. Well, we'll talk about whether or not there was actual consequences. (laughs) Yeah. So what did you know about this situation before we watched the movie last night? I knew that the people were talking on Reddit and all this like meme speak and like buying stocks and stuff. I actually didn't know that it started from such a researched position with GameStop. Cause like, you know, we watched the movie last night and then YouTube just kind of recommended the actual video that, that Keith Gill, the, the kitty guy, what's his name? Kitty pride. Roaring kitty. Was, <laughs> Roaring kitty. The most pure soul I that know. And- I have ever seen. Yeah, his his original video was like, you know, he was really getting into the details, reading like shareholder minutes and board of director meetings and stuff like that. But anyway, that's getting into what I learned now. But all, all I knew at the time was that, you know, there was people like buying these stocks and that it was messing with these hedge fund guys because when you short a stock, your losses are unlimited. So I just thought that was really funny because you know, they try to model all the risk and everything and they know that losses are unlimited with a short, but they don't expect to be called on it because they're like, no, I've calculated the risk, blah, blah, blah. So I just basically thought it was funny and and fun. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't think I knew enough about stocks at the time to understand what was happening, but I knew I was of two minds. I was like, this is hilarious and also amazing because they're taking money from these hedge fund guys. And two, I knew it couldn't last. And and I guess the third thing was I love Reddit. I'm a I re- Reddit might be the social media I use the most. I don't comment that much. I comment on the Just Between Us podcast Reddit if you guys are interested in in my commenting over there. But I don't usually comment, but I read Reddit all the time. And I know that it's it's got a bad reputation for being like, you know, edgelords and and like shitty people. But I also have found some really great stuff on there. And so I know that it is not the cesspool of neckbeards that it gets labeled as. Also, as a trans guy, neckbeard is really hitting home right now. <laughs> but I also I think in those subreddits for stocks it was it was me it was deemed as like being mostly memes mostly misogyny mostly people who like don't are sort of having this inside baseball community conversation and they don't really know anything about what they're talking about and largely after watching this movie i there's a part in the movie where they take down wall street bets which is where a lot of this conversation is happening and in the moment when i watched that I realized how integral the internet 
and Reddit is for the democratization of these conversations, right? Like once they can't talk to each other on Reddit, it kind where do they go? How do they know what's happening? And because they don't have these channels in their daily lives. And I was like, wow, this is actually like really important. So I knew that about Reddit, but I also knew that in the context of this story, a lot of the people involved, I assumed were like shitheads. But now, you know, I'm realizing <laughs> we're sort of more of the average person. And, you know, there's an interesting part in the movie where America Ferreira's character, who is just like a, a nurse, an average person, a Latina, single mom, she's like, you know, one of her colleagues is like, isn't this just like misogynistic assholes? And she's like, well, yes, but but it, that's just how they talk. And so I thought that that was, that was really an interesting perspective where she felt like it was more important for the message of like the, the sort of collective bargaining, collective power was more important than whether these guys were like shitheads. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I mean, the, the guy, the main guy was actually doing research. I don't, I don't think I necessarily thought like, oh, they're all like, dumb or something i i assumed that like everybody was doing it to either a just be silly or b mess with hedge fund guys mm -hmm. but like it turns out like you know he actually did think that gamestop stock was undervalued and there's lots of people that were literally like no we just think this is a good investment like whether whether it like ever like deserved on its fundamentals to be as high as it ever got is like Probably, I think we could probably say it's not true because the stock <laughs> went so high. But like, there really are so many different groups at play here, and it's like, you know, anything can go viral in our current like society, and everybody has different reasons why they like a video, and that's I think that's why things go viral is if if there's a piece of content that there's a lot of ways that people can relate to it strongly, even if those ways are all different from each other. Yeah. Just to talk about Keith for a second, the initial video that we got recommended after we watched the movie, again, not to echo my ex who hated Paul Dano. I like Paul Dano. <laughs> I was struck by how Paul Dano was actually not as attractive and not as charming as the actual guy. Keith in real life, in his video, every five minutes, I was like, this is the most pure soul I've ever seen. He was so, <laughs> like, so smart, so researched, handsome, very, like, there was an element of, of innocence that I don't know that Paul Dano captured that made me be like, I would follow this man to the ends of the earth. Like, he was so, like, researched, humble, was very much like, I don't yeah. know if I'm right, but I feel like I'm right. The way he presented things was very clear. Like better than a lot of college professors would explain stuff. I mean, he was just like seemed like sort of a singular type of person that I was I got it immediately when I saw the original video. I understood why he went viral, why people loved him. You know, the same information had been presented other places, he said, but not. And he was like, you know, anybody could read this, but not in the way that he presented it. And I don't think he understood how special what he was doing was. Yeah, I, re I really liked his vibe because it was like 
he was doing so much research and he was like pouring over all these documents. And, you know, in the movie, every time they showed his computer screen, it was like just a spreadsheet. But then, you know, when you see the actual video, he has a tab with Yahoo Finance up, which has like lots of written words in it. And he has like a Google Doc in there. I thought that was funny. Like the, the way that the movie thought it would make itself look more technical is by just having charts on everyone's screens or just having spreadsheets. But like, he's actually reading a lot of like, words like and reports and stuff about these companies and the way he was explaining it was I I really liked it because it wasn't like he was talking down to everyone he was like hey here's all the research hey I I would love to know if there's any holes in my arguments let me know and he was explaining things in really like clear terms and you could tell that he knew that everyone would understand the information he just wanted to get the information out there like I feel like it's so rare to to see someone be that like smart and on top of all the information, but then not be like cocky about it or like holier than that, which, which is like the, which is part of, I think why he was able to kind of identify this opportunity because he was doing all the research that financial professionals do, but he wasn't tainted by overconfidence or, you know, industry norms about, about how they value different types of things. He was just doing like pure research. Yeah. And I think they juxtapose that really well with his friend Brigsby in the beginning, who is just like a Wall Street guy. In terms of screenwriting, it's like (laughs) fine in the sense that they try to show that by having the Wall Street friend drink a Heineken and Paul Dano insist on a hams. And like, I understand the screenwriting device that that sort of shows. I think it was slightly heavy handed. I think, you know, it was interesting. I said at a certain point, this is this wants to be the social network and it's not. And it, then I learned that the book it was based on was called The Anti-Social Network. So <laughs> I was like, right. So they, they were kind of trying to go for that vibe, I think, beat by beat. I don't think it works because the guy who directed it, he's very good. But I, you know, he doesn't have the sort of annoying stylization that Adam McKay has. Sorry, Adam McKay. Love you. Would love to work with you. I do love The Big Short. We've talked about The Big Short on here. I reference it all the time. So it did have cultural impact. I don't like those dorky explanation things that they did, though. Like, I feel like people will understand the content if you explain it plainly. You don't have to have, like a celebrity come in and like be silly and do an explanation. Like I, I feel like, I feel like they pulled off including financial information in this movie a lot better, even though the movie itself, like this movie was like not amazing. And it seems like they were writing it while they were filming it. Well, I, I don't know if I love either of them, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> I kind of like the big short. I also very much enjoyed Wolf of Wall Street and the way that they mm. explained things too, even though I think it did lionize Jordan Belfort in a very annoying way like it's very humbling like it's it's so nice to have leonardo dicaprio playing you and it's a bit humbling to have paul dano (laughs) playing you you know what i mean i know like Like, after the movie we went through the whole cast and we were like this guy the actor was hotter this guy the real guy was hotter this guy yeah (laughs) it's just like totally irrelevant but yeah yeah when you were bringing up the beer like there were so many things in this movie that that you could tell they were trying to make it relatable or or trying to make it symbolic, but I don't know if it's because I have celiac and I can't drink regular beer, but I just had no idea. They were obviously trying to push something really hard in the beginning with the beer brands. And they were, they were fighting about hams versus Heineken. And I was like, these both seem like kind of generic beers. Like, is this, 
a thing about American beer versus imported beer. Like I had no idea, but it seemed like they they were really. And, and then and then when he goes home and they he gets a beer from the fridge and they make sure to zoom in on what the beers were in there. I was like, is this beer thing going to be a whole thing in this movie? And then they just never really got that into it in the rest of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> I think they they did a good job, like of showing him being very working class. Like they did show that he's from Brockton, Massachusetts, which is like a, you know, working class town. I can't believe they got noted Staten Islander. I can't (laughs) believe they got noted Staten Islander Pete Davidson to wear so much Red Sox gear. Can you imagine that must've been so painful for him? Because I know that Ben Affleck has, I think in his contract that he will not wear Yankees or Mets gear. In any oh movie. So I know in Gone Girl, they wanted him to be wearing a Yankees cap because I think it takes place in New York and he refused. <laughs> well, like this is another thing that it was hard for me to really understand because growing up in Washington State, it's kind of one of the states that people forget exists a lot of the time. And people yeah. say Washington, they mean Washington, D.C. And, you know, growing up watching these movies where they're just throwing these different neighborhoods in New York around or they're talking about Boston or they're talking about wherever, like they kept saying, like, I'm from Rockton or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. That could be anywhere. <laughs> like, I, it's like there's so much meaning behind their voice when they say it. And I'm like, is that a cool city? Do they have like a a team? I don't know. <laughs> Well, they have the Boston accents. They all they all had these really it was a it was a mixed bag of who did the Boston accent. Well, I will say that. Mm. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You guys know that I have had allergies for forever. I've had seasonal allergies since I was a kid. It causes pressure in my face, under my eyes. They're my ultimate handbrake. When my nose is plugged up, I feel like I can't do anything. I can't enjoy food because I can't taste it. I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. And listen... I am already dealing with vocal strain from testosterone and my voice dropping. I don't need any more problems with allergies. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've been taking Claritin D for allergies like probably for the last 10 years or something, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go outside without my eyes watering like a fountain. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped in my throat. I get really embarrassed when I'm sneezing all the time. I have like an itchy nose or throat, like like just the, the itchiness in the back of your sinuses is like so distracting and so annoying. And I get like pressure in my ears too. It's really painful. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Managing my finances is incredibly stressful and time consuming. I'm sure you guys know you've been with me on this journey. You know how many finance apps I've tried. You know how much they haven't worked for me. And I'm always on the hunt for a finance app that fits my life. And then I tried Monarch. 
It is so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I really value an app that allows me to do all of this without confusion. And especially important to me is intuitive design and the ability to personalize because clearly finance is not one size fits all. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? Monarch, the top-rated personal finance app, also has built-in collaboration features so you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget, and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Are you saving for a down payment, a wedding, a dream vacation? Monarch makes it so easy to help you reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Have you been frustrated with personal finance apps that are cluttered with ads, difficult to use, rarely updated? So was Monarch. They built a new kind of personal finance app that's intuitive and powerful and ad-free and constantly improving based on customer feedback. Experience a personal finance app that prioritizes the user experience above all else. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. Plus, there's ad-free privacy you can trust. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash bad money for your extended 30-day free trial. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math and see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Everything is more expensive these days when you're running a business and you would be wise to find proven ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. The fact that you are able to reduce your IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud is incredible. And the ability to access your cloud financial system from anywhere saves you so much time and stress. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. So he's got a kid. He's got a wife. He He has beers in his fridge. He has a lot of beers. He's drinking beer constantly while he's doing his little streams. He works at Mass Mutual. So he like has some, he knows a little finance stuff. They show his brother, Pete Davidson, who is, I will say, 
I will go on record as saying the best part of the movie. Yeah, he did throw in some really good little lines that kind of kept it going. He's funny. I would never date him. I think he doesn't look great, but he's <laughs> so he's very funny. Maybe there's a, a pheromone in person that I'm not receiving, but <laughs> but he's he's a DoorDash driver. He's like doesn't have a shit together. And it seems the family is really reeling and struggling because Paul Dano's uh, because Keith's sister, Sarah, has passed away in the re- in recent times from COVID. And so that really puts a, a stamp on the timeline of when this is happening. Mm-hmm. And I read a, a, an article that I really liked that you disagreed with, but I think that <laughs> it said that this was the first pandemic movie that, that really worked. And the person's argument was that COVID was not the point of the movie. Like that, oh. you know, there it was it was in the background in a way that was realistic. And I think there were a lot of things in this movie that really put a timestamp on it. They really doubled down on the savage TikTok dance. Yeah, that was done a lot. They they had like they played a lot of music that was of that time. I think the first song that plays is WAP. WAP. Well, I just feel like it was so goofy the way they did it. I mean, I guess if you're comparing it to movies where where you know, COVID is the entire plot. It is more subtle than that, but it felt like it was like a weird COVID era bingo card. It was like, it was like, okay, we have at the very beginning, he's like not covering his nose with his mask. And like his manager is always saying, put your mask up, which at first I was like, that's funny. But then all these other things started happening, like saying essential worker multiple times, mentioning Zoom school, getting a vaccine. It was just shoehorned into scenes that it didn't need to be in. Like they're hearing about the stock price going up and they're like, and come over here and you'll be the first one in our hospital to get the vaccine. And it just felt like somebody took the script and like wrote in all these little things. They were like, I they, liked they it. mentioned the, I liked the $600 it. stimulus check. And then, and then what I thought was wild was they were doing every single one of these points, but then they never once, they also had the, some vague BLM references. And then they never mentioned the election or January 6th. Despite the fact that, you know, there is time periods where I was thinking back and I was like, oh, this time period would have been exactly when we were all freaking out because they were like counting votes and nobody like knew what was going to happen next. Yeah, they the never election. mentioned the election. Yeah. And, and January 2021 was like one of the biggest like parts of the movie. And they and they never mentioned like anything about January 6th. So they never mentioned Trump. They never mentioned Bernie Sanders. Like there wasn't like any sort of, hey, this might affect the markets type thing. That is interesting mm. and weird. I liked it. I liked the part where they were getting COVID tested and they saw the <laughs> get the stock go up and she her nose bleeds because she moved so weird. I, I, well, why, I don't know. Why are they watching the stock and they're like in line in the middle of a big open area standing right next to each other while one of them has a big swab in her nose? It's like people don't even do COVID tests like that. Okay, this whatever. Is, this I, is where I don't have the imagination to write movies. So this this is why it's good that I'm not involved because I'm always just like, that's not literally exactly how it would work. But the way that it would exactly work is like not interesting to watch. So I get it. <laughs> so do you want to explain a little bit of what shorting is? So we set up what's happening in the beginning. I mean, this I'm I'm not an expert in this area at all, but it's just like, it's basically a bet that the stock is going to go down. But like, it's not just the opposite of investing in a stock. Like if you, if you, if you buy a stock, either the stock could go down to zero. Like it's not incredibly likely that it would go all the way down to zero, but it could. 
if you're betting against the stock, like there's no limit to how high the price could go. So there's no limit to your loss if you're shorting a stock. So it is like more of an extreme position and risk to take. But when people are shorting, they're using all these different ways of mathematically calculating risk and trying to offset risk and everything. And and people think that they can basically statistically get to a comfortable place with the risk. But I, but if, if something really unexpected happens, you haven't modeled for that. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting because it's not very ethical in some ways they mention in the film that like it would lay off all these people, like it would benefit the hedge fund if the company closed. Yeah. I think there's a lot of different ways that that can happen besides shorting, like, you know, acquiring companies and running them to the ground. Like, I mean, people were really critical of Mitt Romney for like his, you know, fund or whatever. I, he was in like private equity, again, not an expert in this kind of thing, but there's, there's many ways besides shorting that, you know, these financial professionals can kind of run companies into a ground, into the ground and still make money off of it. There was an assumption that GameStop would not be do it, would not do well in the future because people would go digital and there would be no need for brick and mortar stores. There'd be no need for the selling of physical discs or like, you know, GameStop, it seems, does a lot of resale. And they had had, I think they mentioned like six different CEOs in two years. Like there was all these reasons. And then what was great about the Keith Gill video is that he had negative statements are overblown. And then he listed all the things that you could say that would be like GameStop's not going to do well. And then he had done the research being like, we are betting on a future, but we don't know when that future will be. So you're saying like, as if in the next two years, there won't be any need for retail, but you don't know that that's the timeline. And it doesn't play out by looking at the actual numbers of, you know, what retail is doing. Plus he looked at other countries where retail is more common. And he was like, it seems like in the, you know, there would be these these writings about how, oh, it's going to go digital. And then he would look at the comments on the articles and the comments would all be people saying, no, but I want the dig, I want the the disc. I want, you know, I want to own this in, in person. I want to go and get it in person. I want to have, I want to have the physical copy of the game and stuff like that. And then he was also saying that the reason that it looked like digital was so high is because people were making in-game purchases but they weren't necessarily buying games only digitally. So like he was actually looking and reading. I feel like it was a lot of articles that like you see the article, you see the headline, but you don't read the article. Like he was getting stuff from like Variety and Verge and like places where anybody could read this, mm-hmm. but they just simply don't. Um, and so his arguments were like very clear and it made me feel like, wow, I really have these assumptions about things that I don't know anything about. I haven't read, you know, it's easy to say nobody's going to go to the movies anymore because of sitting at home. But then Barbenheimer happened, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing is like people always say, oh, all of the information that is out there is already priced into the market. Meaning like, you know, if everybody in the whole country is making these decisions, like, you know, on average, the bad decisions are going to kind of offset each other. And so therefore the prices are perfect. But I think what he was showing is that, you know, a lot of people 
just made sort of a rough estimation of what was going to happen next with GameStop, which is, I think it will be digital in the future and this company will fail, but they didn't really get into the details like he did. Like in his video, he said like, yeah, if we were talking about 2050, I'd say sure. But what he was saying is like, you know, like, like you said, he was looking at the comments and seeing there's a lot of people that still want the physical games and there's no reason for that to go away overnight. So he thinks that the company still has an ability to generate cash for at least, I mean, he didn't say how long, but it sounds like he was saying like, this will be around for like five years or more. So, so why not hold on to this stock and, and continue investing in this company while it still looks like they have a future. And so he was just getting into a more fine grained analysis of the company versus the financial professionals just kind of did a overall like, okay, yeah, this company's going to, you know, go away because of the digital thing and, and they didn't they didn't know about the trends or, or why you would have a physical game. I think too they didn't pay attention to retail anymore once Amazon came around, physical retail, brick and mortar stores. And and two, I thought it was interesting because I think there is a perfect storm of the type of person who is a Redditor or a Wall Street Bets Redditor and mm-hmm. someone who has nostalgic connections to GameStop. You remember going yeah. to GameStop. I mean, I remember that was like a flagship of the mall. Like you would go there and it was like a, a sort of a hub, a hangout before Reddit existed. And I also think it was interesting that they mentioned that because GameStop sold computer mouses, they yeah. were allowed to stay open as an essential business. One of the only Wait. ones. I actually... I was watching this and I actually didn't even know that like most of the mall stores had to shut down because I just don't go to the mall. Like I didn't try going anywhere. So, I mean, I guess I knew on some level that the movie theaters were closed, but I, I had no idea that (laughs) all the mall stores shut down. That's, that was, that was brand new information for me. Certain malls closed forever. They're like abandoned. It's crazy. Now I'm like mad that I didn't invest in AMC during the pandemic because of Taylor Swift and Beyonce. And we couldn't have predicted, couldn't have predicted. And we couldn't have predicted Nicole Kidman and, you know, (laughs) one of the the greatest speeches of our, of our time. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, I have a dream. It's the, the tear down that wall, Mr. Gorbachev and heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Yes. Okay. I stand by it. Oh, and that was that was the other thing when I was reading articles is that I had forgotten about this piece that AMC stock was one of the other stocks that Wall Street Bets was was hyping up, but they didn't mention oh. AMC stock at all in the movie. Interesting. Okay, so then so then there's these hedge fund guys that Seth Rogen plays Gabe Plotkin, Nick Offerman plays Ken Griffin, Vincent D'Onofrio plays Steve Cohen. I want to say. The guy with the pet pig, full size pet pig. He has not a full a size pet pig. No, <laughs> full size pet pig, which is real. They do show they, the pig. They said, like the I was reading an article that like they found out about this pet pig in some article, and they just thought that it was like a perfect thing to put in the movie to have this like big pet pig walking around in the mansion. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Also, the pig isn't neutered, or I don't know if they neuter pigs, but oh, the pig has huge balls. It had, yeah. It sure did. So it starts with Seth Rogen being upset because he can't build a tennis court during the pandemic. Oh, yeah. He bought a house next to his house, like a mansion next to his house. And he wanted to tear it down so that he and his kids could play tennis during the pandemic. But he was mad because he was like, the pandemic's almost over. This is like, this is like, 
the summer of 2020. And he's like, (laughs) he's like, the pandemic's almost over and I still don't have my tennis court. Yep. And so you kind of see that they sort of play with like money is is kind of a play thing for them. He's not a billionaire. He's worth about 400 million. They show people's net worths next to them. He's worth about 400 million, but his friends are billionaires. Oh, does the pet pig guy is the pet pig guy a, a billionaire? I think I n- read the numbers wrong and I thought he had less money than than Gabe Plot. No, I think pet pig guy hat was in the billions, I think, because he ends up buying him out. Oh, okay. See, I was not reading. I see. I can't. The reading comprehension in the film. Usually, I don't like when they have the little silly things on screen. But I did like seeing people's net worth. But it happened so fast that I think I wasn't even reading millions or billions. So I was like, oh. "Why is he talking to this guy? Who only has four million dollars." <laughs> so, so they obviously don't believe in GameStop. Blah blah blah. And their money is sort of play money. And Nick Offerman is giving it a, a very funny. Nooch performance as Ken Griffin, which is a choice. It's it's different, you know. I think Nick off. Wait, what do you mean nooch? Like not evil, not good, or the he, the guy is like monotone. He has like no oh, facial expressions and like no, yeah. which I which later we we is right. You know, it's sometimes funny because you're like, are they playing the the real guy the way he is? Is he that boring? And then you like <laughs> see the real clip and you're like, he is boring. But like you know, it's I felt it was a waste of Nick Offerman's talents. But they were yeah. funny. I loved I loved seeing, like, you know, spoiler alert, there's a congressional hearing. I loved seeing the actual video of the guy Nick Offerman was playing because in the movie, like, the person asks Nick, like, Nick Offerman's character, like, how many people are in the room with, with you? And he kind of pauses and, like, a couple people leave so we can say five or whatever. And then <laughs> when you watch the real clip, you can see in his statement, when he's making a statement, his eyes are, like, up above his like webcam and he's like i mean it could just be about where his webcam is but it looks like it's a hostage video and he's just saying what somebody else is telling him to say and i i thought it was i thought it was perfect it was great hey guys gabe dunn here I just wanted to let you guys know that I have a Patreon at patreon.com slash Gabe S. Dunn. And on that Patreon, I'm going to start doing live hangs with everyone who is a patron. So if you want to join the Patreon, you can get all these episodes ad free, videos of our mailbag episodes, extra writing from me, blogs, fiction, other stuff, things that I'm thinking about with regards to money and personal stories. And also now live hangs with me on Zoom once a month. So join the Patreon. And if you're not a member of the Discord, hop on over to the Discord. That's free. The link will be in the description. It's so fun. So many of you guys talk over there. It's like truly popping off. Um, And if you're on the Discord, I would love to see you in the live hang. So I get to put a face to a name. So yeah, please join patreon.com slash Gabe S. Dunn and come hang out with me. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a new candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. 
One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. It would be so much easier if I was looking for someone to help me with sweetening audio or let's say someone to run my merch shop or all the little things that go into running a podcast. Usually something like that would be so slow and overwhelming. And honestly, I wish I had used Indeed and I will use Indeed in the future. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash badwithmoney right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone. Chime members or not and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash bad money. That's Chime.com slash bad money. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. So the average people they show are college students, two lesbian college students, and then America Ferreira, who's like a Latina single mom nurse. Her, I mean, I loved her coworker. I, I can't forget. I can't remember the actor's name, but he's like a gay black guy who's a great actor. I have to, I, what, I wonder what, can you look up his name? I think he's great. He's in a lot of stuff. I'll put the, the actor's name in the description. There is Anthony Ramos, who is playing a brick and mortar GameStop employee. With Dane DeHaan playing his boss, who's mostly behind a mask the entire time, which is kind of a strange use of Dane DeHaan, but... Wait, what are those, whatever stuff is he in? Dane DeHaan is in, oh my God, what is it called? Lost City. It's that movie with Cara Delevingne. Valerian. It's called Valerian. It's, it's, it wishes it was Jupiter Ascending. And longtime listeners know I love Jupiter Ascending. It's Dane DeHaan, Cara Delevingne, and Rihanna in this movie. And then he's also in the dramatization of the staircase on HBO. I don't rec- I don't know what any of these things are, but that's fine. Slay. He's 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 <laughs> a, yeah, Slay. He's fine. But it was a weird choice to have him in the movie and not show his face. But anyway, so Anthony Ramos is uh 
GameStop employee. And then it shows all of them sort of like they take, they are doing whatever Roaring Kitty is doing. So basically he's, Keith is Roaring Kitty. He is also deep fucking value on Reddit, Wall Street Bets. He makes this video and it goes pretty viral. He starts out having a lot of followers. Like they, he's been, you know, making these videos about the stock market. And he's, the big thing is he shows his whole portfolio. He is open about his portfolio, which bites him in the ass later. But he he shows his entire portfolio. He shows all of his trades for the day. He's very transparent. One of the funniest things, and he's putting in, he's put about $50,000, $53,000 into GameStop. And then he doesn't really have that much money. That They say that's his whole savings. He's got, they show his net worth as like $90,000 at the beginning, $97,000 at the very beginning. Well, I mean, tech, technically, I... I don't know if this actually matters, but he, he is just showing his balance sheet, right? I don't know if he would show his trades, but like people would still notice if, if his balance sheet, like if he has the number of shares included that, that people would notice if he sold or bought the stock. I had the same worry that his mother later has, where when he gets rich, she's like, you don't want people to know that you're rich. They'll come kidnap you in the baby. Which yeah. is like, it's not like I don't want people to know I'm rich because I don't want people to judge me or whatever. It's like the fear that I had was like, they'll absolutely kidnap your baby, <laughs> which yeah. is like shows where my mind goes. But anyway, yeah, so I want to talk about, so he's very transparent, which is incredible. And I think something people are really drawn to. And so when the stuff starts taking off and people start buying GameStop, it really, it, it becomes both a means of class warfare, which they say... And it also becomes kind of a meme and funny and like and like silly to buy GameStop because he even says in his notes, oh, you're going to tell me GameStop's the new blockbuster, whatever. Okay, but game physical games and stuff like mice, you know, computer mice and stuff like that. Very different from streaming and films. I think saying that those are similar is like he says, sort of a overarching idea of the future that isn't necessarily borne out by the data. So once he starts getting really popular all of this, you know, they can see his balance sheet growing. He ends up getting to like $11 million. But he ends up in this, in a bit of a prison because everyone is looking to him as their leader. He's a gangster. He's a badass. He's all these memes about him. And so he's a leader. So if, so they hold if he holds, Mm. which is called diamond hands, which is where you don't, (laughs) where you you don't. You keep holding because you have diamond hands and paper hands is when you sell it once you get spooked. And so the people that are following him, they see it as a way to make money and get rich and they're really excited about it. But it also becomes a political movement. And so he it would behoove him to cash out because he's got a kid. He's he's got you know, he wants to give money to his parents. His brother clearly has no money. He lives in a regular house in Brockton. but. He can't really cash out because it would it would betray the movement. And then a bunch of other little people feel that way as well. The college girls really struggle because they want to cash out and pay off their, their student loans, but they don't feel that they can because they, they are amping each other up, being like, but we're doing something important. Yeah, we kept we kept talking throughout like, what would we do? How would you be able to capture some of the part? profits like i'm like so risk averse like i like when i went to vegas for a a dodgeball tournament last year like my friends were laughing because anytime they would be up even 50 cents i'd be like cash out cash out cash out (laughs) 
<laughs> and like I didn't gamble at all because I just the idea of losing money at all just makes me so bothered and so I was like I was like okay would you cash out half like when it goes up you cash out half obviously Roaring Kitty can't do that so I was like well if he'd established something early on where he was like I you know I will sell one percent of of GameStop it each each like week or month in order to rebalance my portfolio like uh, but but it's hard because then you have to know when to start doing that without causing a panic sell-off like it's also like delicate like we we eventually at the very end of the movie find out that the guy who works at GameStop GameStop had sold off half of his shares at the peak and I was like yes that's exactly what I was I was screaming at the screen because I'm always like okay if it goes way up sell off enough to at least make back your initial investment, maybe a little bit more, but you don't want to get too greedy. You know, maybe it'll go up even more, but it's like you, you want to set a certain floor for yourself so that you can't lose everything. But again, I mean, I'm the kind of person who wouldn't have made enough of an investment into GameStop in the first place to even have a profit. So Mm -hmm. suddenly applying my logic later doesn't really make sense. But that part was like really squirreling with my head i was like i was like oh my this is so risky why would you <laughs> why would you yeah, say yeah and he does he does we do learn that he he made one hundred eighty thousand dollars, i think because he cashed out half the gamestop employee yeah uh, anthony ramos's character and then the girls cash out because they got scared because wall street bets goes down reddit takes down wall street bets and everyone freaks out because they can't get in touch with roaring kitty and so, so they sell, but then once he, he comes back, they rebuy, they, they buy, they buy back in or they they try to the next morning. And then we meet the CEOs of Robin Hood, Ro- the two guys from Robin Hood. They believe that they've created an app that democratizes the stock market. A lot of young people are on it. They're giving an interview in the beginning where they say the, the reporter is like, well, the most of the people in your app are very young and they're not they're not spending tons of money investing. So how are you guys making money? And they kind of skirt around that they're taking that they are working with Citadel Securities, which is not Ken Griffin's Citadel, but it is a company under or it's Citadel. not his like hedge fund. It's, it's like not his hedge fund, just, but it's a company yeah. under Citadel that is making money off of the market orders, right? Yeah, they're like, and I didn't, I didn't know anything about this before, just <laughs> googling since last night. No, but yeah, we were researching it last night. Yeah, they're like market makers, meaning that they are like the intermediary between buyers and sellers. So, well, the the whole thing with the interview was the interviewer was saying, "How do you make money?" And they were like, oh, interest from people's accounts, meaning like when people have cash sitting in Robinhood, they're making interest off of it. But I mean, interest rates were like very low at the time. And she was saying, okay, well, these are young people without much money in there and they're, and they're putting it in, they're taking out really fast. So how is that really making you enough money? And then, you know, the, there's like the two different CEOs. One of them is more willing to answer questions. The other one just wants to look in the mirror. And so the one, the one who's answering the questions is like, well, you know, we have, what's the term? It was for order flow. Yeah. Payment for order flow. And, and so he says, oh, that's how we do it is that, you know, we have a market maker in between and the market maker sets the, the bid and the ask price, like sets what people can buy at and sell at. And there's a, there's a spread between those two numbers. And so the market maker takes a cut 
and the broker takes a cut and then they can give some of that back to the the person like actually in the transaction but but there was like the whole thing was that there's there's a conflict of interest when when robin hood is looking at different potential market makers because they might be incentivized to choose a market maker that gives them a bigger kickback and gives right. a worse price to their customers right. and so it's like they're saying oh we're commission free but it's like you are still paying the costs as part of your transaction it's not as clear as a commission is and you know it's 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 not shown to you how much the broker is making and how much the market maker is making exactly and so that comes into play later but so the girls wake up everyone wakes up and they're not able to buy anymore gamestop because it's gone up so much and robin hood stops them from buying which is not right like that the it it shows that this app called Robinhood, which is supposed to, you know, is known for taking from the rich, giving to the poor. This app that was meant to democratize this, the Wall Street is protecting the hedge funds. I think it was, I was like reading about this just now. It was the, so there was like the DTCC, which they didn't totally explain in the, in the movie, but it's okay. This is a quote from an article because I don't know what the, fuck I'm talking about. I'm, I'm, I was like, for a sec, I was like, can I say what the fuck I'm talking about? And I was like, yeah, this isn't a, this isn't a kid's show. Okay. So DTCC is the main hub for us stock market and is connected to all major brokers and trading platforms. Robinhood had to put up money with the DTCC to back trades during the two days it takes for the trades to settle. So yes, which ended up being like 3 billion, right? Yeah, and and that's what they said in the movie and then this article said that that was the real number. DTCC asked for 3 billion at 3 a.m. Thursday and then later reduced that to 700 million. So so that was that was what I I don't actually know the the real life details on on this piece, but in the movie what they said was that DTCC once Three billion to cover all the trading volume, but that they would reduce it if Robinhood shut off buying. I don't really know that the I don't really know the details of if they actually asked it in that way or whatever. But that's sort of like what they say in the movie is that hey, we'll actually ask you to put up less money for the settlement if you you kind of stop this this mm-hmm. trading behavior that's gotten out of control. And so then that comes up later because so so he gets called to a congressional hearing and there's a hearing where it's the guys from these hedge funds and Melvin Capital is one that has has which is Gabe Plotkin's company Seth played by Seth Rogen. It's his company has put the most into get into shorting GameStop. And so there's this congressional hearing that is absolutely hilarious because it's like a (laughs) Zoom hearing starring AOC. AOC is in it. It's real clip of her from the real hearing. What, did they use real her real clip? I yeah. didn't know if maybe they re-recorded. And and Pete Davidson is like, wow, I'm I'm interested in some AOC. He loves her. <laughs> Which he has I a crush on her. I love that. So so they have these real and I think it's inter it is interspliced with real the real like Congress people. They are actually saying we learn at the in the credits, they are actually saying like what they said in the meetings, because a big thing is that when regards to this movie is based on this book by Ben Mesker, I think. And he could he did not have a lot of the hedge fund people that he went to speak to directly about this did not want to talk. And so for his book, he had some anonymous sources. He had some hedge fund guys, but a lot of these people didn't want to talk. 
only Ken Griffin gives some statement about the film where he says that it that he wished he was played by Daniel Craig, but Nick Offerman did a good job. <laughs> and then okay, you should be happy with Nick Offerman. Literally. And then Keith Gill, as a spoiler, but he disappears from public life. So he has nothing mm-hmm. to do with the movie. And so they have this hearing. And in the hearing, like his brother tells him, like he's freaking out. And his brother tells him, like, hey, man, run with your dick out. Like, just, (laughs) which is a reference to, like, a streaking incident where they're both runners. And so he's, like, you know, kind of just, like, be a gangster. Be who who Roaring Kitty. I really relate to this. Be who the people see Roaring Kitty as. Be Roaring Kitty. And he says in the beginning of his, in his testimonial or whatever, he's, like, I am not a cat. I am not a, you know, like, and he actually said that. We found the real clip. There are three things I am not. I am not a cat, which is incredible. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. He also, I think he also, one of the big things that happens at the end of his first video is he goes, I don't know, I just like the stock. And that becomes kind of a meme. And so he says that in his in his testimony. And then all the people watching are like, he's gangster for that. (laughs) Like, they love it. You know, he's fired from his job at Mass Mutual. He does this hearing ends up that it goes poorly for the hedge fund guys and pretty fine for him. They think that he must have had insider knowledge, which he did not have. Oh, yeah, he was accused of that. I think I, I don't know this piece for sure, but I think the reason why they thought it was such a baller move to say, I like the stock is because they were accusing him of like manipulating prices. And if you're going to be in a congressional hearing and you're going to say, I like a stock, I like the stock, which basically means people should buy the stock. You're kind of putting yourself at risk of being accused again of, of trying to get people to buy the stock. I, I found for the interviews that they did of people, what is it, the, the testifying, I thought it was really funny to see the hedge fund guys prepare because they show them, they show Seth Rogen's character like in his mansion and his lawyers are like, okay, so where are you going to do the, where are you going to testify? And he's like, well, I thought right here. And they were like in front of your wine collection. And he's like, there's not that many wines and the whole like wall is wines. And then they eventually they come up with a little like speech for him that's very like making him sound like you know he followed the american dream to get where he is and he's like you know and then i studied hard and went to northwestern and they're like wait don't say northwestern say a good school and and so you hear all the euphemisms he's saying and then you see where he ultimately ends up testifying which is like in an empty room where you just see like the edge of a printer. They can't find a place in his mansion that doesn't look rich. Yeah, so they probably put him in a literal closet. And then (laughs) at the very end of the movie, they show the actual videos from the hearing. And they literally, the guy actually did testify just sitting next to a printer in a white room. (laughs) It was so funny. 
And he also, they have him saying, you know, his dad was like a grocery store executive and they say, change it to say he worked at a grocery store. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like they have him changing. And then you see the real testimony where he is doing that. And you and I talked about that a, a bunch because the poor people in the film, quote unquote, poor people are very open with everyone about their mo- money situations. When they lose money, they tell people. When they're gaining money, they tell people. Like, ev- they're very, like, open. Whereas then the rich people then end up having to sort of downplay and trying to seem like the average person and mm-hmm. trying to seem relatable or like like it's bad that they're getting, you know, all their money taken or whatever, which like it's interesting. There's one part where Shailene Woodley say says, how much do we make today? And he says five million. And how much do we make yesterday? F- Four million. And she's like, whoa, babe, we're rich. And then it cuts to Olivia Thurlby, who's that place with Seth Rogen's wife. And she's like, what did we lose today? And he's like three billion or whatever. <laughs> so even with what but like even with with what I took it as like Keith and and Caroline, his wife. I took it as like, they're like, wow, we're rich. Like we made five million, five million made such a difference in our lives. And these people could stand to lose three billion and it would be like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the guys like Seth Rogen's, I I, I just want to call him Seth Rogen. (laughs) Yeah, Plotkin. Yeah, Gabe Plotkin's fund ended up shutting down as a result of this, but it's like, do we think that he actually lost his mansion or all of his personal assets? No, because I mean, I'm sure all of his assets were separated and like he never had to like put any of his own money at risk. It was probably just like client money. I mean, this is me talking on my ass. I have no idea. No, I mean, they show that like also rich people have their money so diversified. Like at one point he's talking about how he had to move one of his paintings or something and it was the Picasso or whatever, you know, like they talk about (laughs) this on succession. I totally missed that. On Succession, you know, there's a a minor plot point on Succession where they can't locate this painting that they had bought when the dad passes away, I think. And they don't know where it is. And it's like a a, a painting that is so expensive and they're trying to figure out where it is. I, I, there's like a, an element of something like we've misplaced it, but it's like a, a very expensive painting. They don't really even care. So like mon- the money is in all these different places. Also, when it does, so when it is at risk of shutting down, right, you see these like, oh my God, these this hedge fund guy's losing so much money. All Seth Rogen has to do is call Vincent D'Onofrio's character and, and uh, Ken Griffin and say, can you front me some money? And they think it's funny. They're like, mm-hmm. they're like giggling, like, oh, we're going to give you money. Like we're going to, so they get bailed out. The hedge fund people bail each other out and they have yeah, that luxury. Well, they were, the early on conversation between them is, you know, Seth Rogen's character didn't like Nick Offerman's character because he kept taking employees from the other firms or something like they're all just kind of like, ooh, an opportunity to like buy this guy's company and totally like take his pride away or whatever. Like everything is, is in these big, big money, like showy things until you get into trouble. And then all of a sudden it's, well, I worked really hard and and I came from a humble background and everything. And all of a sudden we get all these euphemisms acting as if, you know, they're doing this for their living and they're doing this, you know, they're they're working as hard as they can when it was just like a big game that, that they were losing this round. Yeah. So the movie ends and we see that people, some people made a bunch of money from it and cashed out. The Jennifer Campbell character, America Ferrer's character, still holds on to her money. 
she ends up in debt, but she's diamond hands, she believes. Well, yeah, I think it said, and this was like a fictional character, but but there, it was somewhat based on one person. Mm-hmm. And it said that she was, you know, she started the movie in debt and, and now she was a little bit less in debt because she mm-hmm. did sell a couple of the shares at the peak or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the girls made enough money, like, for their college and Marcos made money, Anthony Ramos's character. So, I mean, and then it ends and and Keith Gill kind of, goes into retirement and go, pulls away from the spotlight, but it says he made a, a 43 million or something. Well, I think that's his portfolio at its peak was something around 40 million. But what all the articles have been saying is that he retreated from public life and nobody really knows how much he made. I mean, GameStop didn't go absolutely to zero. So, uh, you know, <laughs> did I mean, did it? Probably. <laughs> I don't know. I think but... it's still trading now. But like, so I'm, I'm sure he has some amount of money from it. But since, since he was no longer sharing his balance sheets anymore, he was free to sell whenever he wanted to at that point. Right. GameStop is at $17. Okay. Well, it started at $4 at the beginning right. of the movie. So right. still a slay. Slay. So it shows us a bit of what ended up happening, which is like, it, it leaves us on a bit of an optimistic note where it's like, now they really look at retailers, change the way that shorting works. You know, it did have an impact. And, and like, you know, Gabe Plotkin's Melvin Capital went out of business. Like, okay. Did you feel like it? I couldn't tell walking away if I felt negative or positive like it felt like there were some changes but i wished that there was more and they keep they keep comparing it to occupy wall street which one of my pet peeves as a financial media person is when people say well occupy wall street didn't have a message and i'm like yes it did and the robin hood guys mistakenly use occupy wall street as as a thing oh we 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 wanted you know to democratize wall street and then the reporter says is that what occupy was about and then they're like, we meant like, you know, literally Occupy Wall Street, like put ourselves in Wall Street, whatever. Yeah. But like Occupy was about like tearing down like the whole system, the whole capitalist system. It was the message was like, this is unfair. There's no way for anyone to to be involved in this. So let's get rid of it versus let's play in the in the sandbox. And I think people just didn't like that message. You know, it's like when they said, oh, BLM didn't have a message. And I'm like, yes, it did. It was to give less money to the police and to stop police brutality and prosecute the police officers like it wasn't it it did have a message i think people often say these movements don't have messages in order to you know discredit them so you know i we were saying whether something like this could happen again and we were saying we don't personally really think so yeah not exactly i mean we were reading these articles afterward and and one of these journalists interviewed a hedge funds person and i mean when you when you watch the movie it seems kind of triumphant at the at the end. They're like, these hedge fund guys will never be able to ignore the little guy anymore. I guess they learn their lesson or whatever. And then you read an article and it's like, yeah, it changed a little bit. They have tools that are kind of looking at the internet for like sentiment toward a stock, but right. it hasn't really changed that much. And I mean, I can imagine now they know that a stock could go viral. So they're not necessarily going to do things the way that Gabe Plotkin did, which was hear about this subreddit and then immediately double down on his short Mm -hmm. position. Like, I think they would be more cautious in this scenario. Like I, and the article was saying that like a big reason why this happened and it worked is because 
it was a complete surprise and it wasn't something that the hedge fund people really had experience reacting to. Yeah. And I do think it was interesting that the movie, it showed pretty much everyone on the, on the Wall Street Bets side making at least a little bit of money, except for the America Ferreira's, Ferreira's character who, you know, didn't lose a ton, but just kind of like only just became a little bit less in, in debt. And I, I don't think that's really realistic. Like, I'm sure there are many, many people who found out about Wall Street Bets, bought at the peak, and then lost everything that they had, which whenever I've said that this is funny, I just mean for the hedge fund people, it is like horrible that, you know, average people have lost their their life savings on this. And I, and I, so I feel very complicated about like all of everyone's losses because some losses I'm like, wow, that's really sad for people who really worked hard for that money. And then there's people like in the hedge fund space where they knew that their losses were theoretically infinite going in. And so the fact that they had losses, that is funny to me. (laughs) Yes. But I think the movie highlighted, the movie wanted you to walk out being like, wow, we really won. But I think it's a little bit messier than that and and not exactly how it went down. That's how I feel. That like, I worried about the the Hollywoodification of it all sort of being like, we did it. Don't do it again. No need. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, I think it was a perfect storm, but it does continue this thing of we can win on their play on their playground. And I don't know that we can. Yeah. It was like, we won the game because this one was a sneak attack, but exactly. the next one is going to need to also be a sneak attack. Right. Exactly. You know, I also don't know that there will be another finance person as charming as Keith Gill. Yeah. He really seemed like the movie version. What an absolute angel. Like when you watch the YouTube video, you're like, this is the movie version. Right. Right. He was so like Paul Dano tried his best, but like this was a a man whose soul was so pure. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything else you want to add about the film and about or about this GameStop situation? Oh, it you know, I don't know. I, I thought I thought it was so interesting. It's like most of our conversations after this have been about how funny it is to see people kind of cosplaying as having less money than they actually do. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of my big takeaway is just like, you know, seeing these rich people, seeing Nick Offerman and Seth Rogen's perfect portrayals of rich people paying, playing tennis with that like odd rich guy posture where they're kind of walking like toddlers. I thought that was hilarious. But yeah, it was funny in that sense to just kind of see see the way people act and the way that they try to manipulate people by presenting their wealth in different ways. But you know. It's it's the movie's entertainment, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we talked about this a little that there's this and this comes up in the film Saltburn as well, where there's like a, a, a poverty level or like a very tragic low income background type situation that then you get to upper middle class or middle class, upper middle class. And then you their ceiling isn't high enough. Like, I think people didn't want to cash out. Some people were saying it was like a revolution, but some people didn't want to cash out because they wanted to go higher. They wanted to go higher. And Anthony Ramos' mother accuses it of being an addiction. And he fake snorts his phone (laughs) to like be like it is. And so I think that there's also an element of I can make more. I can make more. What if I miss out? What if I don't, you know, what if I, I don't like... 
And a lot of the people not involved keep saying, you know, at one point he says to his mother, I want to buy you a mansion. And she's like, I don't need a mansion. Yeah. And like, I think that's something that people should keep in mind that there is this overconsumption over like it is a fuck you to these people. But I think there is this idea of now I've now I've reached this level. What if I could reach this level now? It's it's over. It's striving, 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 which you and I have talked about a lot. Right. It's people being like, well, what if I had a boat? And it's like, you don't need a boat. Yeah. Yeah. It's very capitalism, very like, you know, lifestyle creep. Like once once you've achieved some level of money, then your brain adjusts to that. And then you and then you start hanging out with people who spend a bunch of money and then you want even more. Like, I mean, I'm I'm watching this thing and I'm like, you know, I've calculated how much money I would need to cover my expenses, you know, with and 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 live comfortably and and they all hit those numbers and i was like you, <laughs> you could cash just cash out, out cash now out. just live a live a pretty reasonable lifestyle like forever with just a just a well invested portfolio but i think a lot of people haven't thought about okay what is my number where i would be financially independent they just keep seeing bigger and bigger prizes and wanting bigger and bigger prizes well thank you for joining us <laughs> do you want to be found? Where can people find you? Or do you just want to kind of remain my boyfriend, Alex, a sort of voice on this podcast? You can find me if you want. I'm just, I just kind of have a, an, an Instagram that mostly features my cat. Uh, you know, I might remember to do a post every couple months. It's, it's not giving content. <laughs> it, it is, it is giving cat. It is giving screen printing projects, but it's not, it's not giving content. <laughs> well, it is, it is, we'll link to it. It is Alex Hammond. So <laughs> please enjoy. And if you want to find Alex, he's on my account. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm on the Discord. The Discord is, is fun because I'm so scared of public social media, which is funny because now I've been on three episodes of this podcast, but I, I've never been like a tweeter or someone who can post in public because it's so scary. But whenever there's like a little semi-private community, that's when I'm like, oh, I could kind of say something in there. Oh, people are people are nicer here than the than the, <laughs> than the public internet. So I think that's fun. And just so you know, if you're ever mean to me online, it doesn't bother me, but it does bother Alex. So you're yeah. hurting this man. If I get one negative comment on my, on my Instagram, it's gonna it's gonna go private forever. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. Well, I love you, and thanks for coming you. on. <laughs> Bye. Bad With Money with Gabe Shane Dunn is a production of Noted Bisexual, produced by Melissa D. Montz and Diamond M. Print Productions, edited by Diane King, post-production sound by Coco Lorenz, and music by Mike Kaplan, Zach Sherwin, and Jack Dolgen, as sung by Sam Barbera. Thank you, love you, bye!